Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Two-Headed Game Master. I'm Cosmo, the first head. And I'm Dane, the inkwell head. Two-Headed Game Master is a podcast about writing, designing, running, and playing. That was gross. That was a, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we've, no, we've grown a, a, third head. a third head, as we sometimes do <laughs> on the show. Uh, so, Cece... Welcome Hi. to the podcast. Yeah. Hello, thank you for having me. Excellent to have you here. Um, Cece is a friend of ours from a long time, for you, a long time. You might remember from episode 69. Mm-hmm. Nice. nice. Helped uh, with the voice stuff for that for that treat of an episode. Very fun. And she's back tonight. And we're going to be talking about uh, some writing stuff. So... Uh, Two-Headed Game Master is usually a podcast about writing, designing, running, and playing role-playing games. But uh, tonight we're going to mostly focus on the writing and not not so specifically on role-playing games. Just like writing and and creativity and processes and stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't know. Cece, why don't you... Yeah, did did you introduce yourself at episode 69? I don't Um, think so. I introduced... Both of you, episode yeah, but 69. Like, that's right. What's, what is your credentials? Well, that's a... <laughs> why, why, why are you, you setting me up yeah. like that? <laughs> well, why are you here talking about stories instead of, uh, say, Enzo? Mm. Gotcha. Um, well, Enzo's a dummy. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just kidding. Love you, Enzo. <laughs> um, He'll be here later. We can take it up with him. <laughs> but he can't read. <laughs> The really issue, really the issue there. That's a joke. Um, so I guess my credentials are that I am a, an English creative writing major. Um, I've written a couple books. Um, the fun ones have not been published. The Aww. ones I've the ones I've ghostwritten for other people <laughs> have been published via Amazon. <laughs> um, I've just always really been passionate about stories, and um, Cosmo and Dane have been really great friends to me when it comes to reading all of my writing and we've just always had a really good um kind of good creative chemistry together talking mm-hmm. about stories and characters and um and I think it can be pretty helpful for as someone who's never been a DM before but who has played D- uh, D&D and other role-playing games um I think it's fun to put all you can into your characters and if you're a DM there's, uh, you know, you can always learn something from mm-hmm. storytelling. You have to write a lot. Well, not necessarily write, write, but come up. You have to do create, the writing stuff. Create. Yeah. You can, like, you can get away with a lot, I guess, as a game master, writing very little down, actually. But you have to do the same process of, yeah, you know. of coming up with ideas. And so character plots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looks. So can we want to oh, talk sorry. about that's fine we just want to talk about some of that stuff yeah. tonight um us i guess mostly coming from the from the game mastering and role playing side says the guy who wrote a book yeah but we're not talking about that <laughs> that was episode 69 oh that was his short story that was a different thing. <laughs> but um yeah okay so we we just have a couple things here and we'll just go through these or Bounce well, around yeah, as naturally I mean, you know, as we where, feel like because we, we just want to talk about the ideas. Where do we want to start? I mean, I think you know, world building is a great mm-hmm. place to start. I think so too, because um, that's generally what I do first. Yeah, 
yeah. So, what are uh, I guess what are some things that you do at that stage? Like, how do you come to the setting that you want to tell the story right. in, and and then um, when you have it, what do you what do you do for world building? What do you like to right. focus on? And um, it's an interesting question because usually my world starts very small. I get a really clear picture or almost a vibe of like a room or you know so, you know mm-hmm. sometimes even the characters come beforehand um but uh i think um it's really hard for me at least to build worlds without drawing from things um just like i don't know when i'm trying to create a world i like tend to read a lot of uh you know wikipedia pages on wars and history and politics mm. or go back through my books on mythologies or fairy tales and um, really actually just immersing myself into other fantasy worlds usually gives me a bunch of good ideas. Mm-hmm. That's where I get my best ideas, mm-hmm. stealing them. Stealing yes. them from other people. <laughs> right. That's the way to do it. <laughs> right. Uh, um, so for your for your big like creative project, and I guess um, I'll let you take the lead as far as how much you want to share about mm this stuff that we have read some of, but you haven't published. And I don't, I don't know how much, how much you want to share about it, but uh, let's, let's maybe talk a little bit about that and the, the setting of it. Hmm. Is it, would you, would you categorize it as like an original setting or like as, as taken, taking place like in our world? Certainly there's some, some like magic world building and stuff in it. Some, some mythic stuff, Mm -hmm. but uh um, I guess I, I was always going for not our world, okay. you know, like how Game of Thrones draws on medieval times, but it's mm-hmm. very clearly a different world. Um, that's sort of what I was trying to do, mm-hmm. um, though I tried to kind of pick a setting that um, I was kind of going for more of a dust bowl, almost um mm-hmm jazz age kind of vibe but a fantasy world setting so i'm definitely drawing a lot from uh, especially like mm-hmm. american and english history right but not set in no not set in like the 1920s in the united no. states it's... yeah more just kind of how i'd imagine like the... something like game of thrones or lord mm-hmm. of the rings would have developed hundreds of years later maybe or you know i don't know mm-hmm. i just figured it was a time period that not a lot of fantasy has been written about Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of like, I love, I love medieval fantasy, but I was getting a little tired of it. There's a lot out there. There's yeah. Out there's there. a ton out there. Uh, and also something to be said for like writing the thing that you want to read, I guess. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily like, oh, this is what everyone's doing. I'll make one of these. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, that's really important for me is I always make my like stories and worlds, the things I want to play. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, as you know, we released Afterlife. That is something that we enjoy playing. Um, We didn't make that to make money because it doesn't make any money. No. Um, And it was also like (laughs) there were a few other post-apocalyptic things in in pop culture at the time. There was like during its early development, there was like the Planet of the Apes reboots and Fury Road, the new Mad Max, and like some Fallout games and stuff came out. So, you know, a lot of those things you just listed off kind of made it into Afterlife. Well, they they did a lot, but um, you know, we weren't 
uh, we weren't chasing that like we weren't chasing that market trend. Mm-hmm. We we created Inspired a post-apocalyptic it, setting <laughs> yeah. that happened to sort of coincide with some of those things, but the, like it was the thing that we wanted to make and the thing that we wanted to play in, and not not based on any sort of like forecasting of customer. Mm-hmm. You know, you write the thing that you wanna mm-hmm. that you would want to read, or in gaming, the thing that you would want to play. And I think um, you know I'd used. Medieval fantasy is a uh, something that's been done a lot, but I think um, where you're drawing from matters so much less than just like the time and energy you put into it. Like you both were really helpful with my fantasy book, and just like with the world building specifically. Like you were once bit questioning like, okay, but I think we need to know more history in this area. Like what led to this political upheaval, or um, like what's the uh, the money systems that was a thing I had never been thought of like you know and that obviously I think needs to be fleshed out and this is less so for role-playing games but um you know uh getting into the details I think makes for a really good dm um and finding specific details like that really makes like sets the world builds the world really well how do you find um a medium between fleshing out those details to make it feel like complete and real um, and how to balance that with like getting too fine a point on the details like for example King Killer's money system which mm. we've talked about before where it's just it didn't there's no need for that right we right. kind of dunk on that series a lot but I think it's fair because you just announced like oh new thing coming out and it's just another novella so get mm. bent we like we <laughs> want the next book idiot right. I mean, I guess that's a ma- that probably depends because you guys are much more likely to read something that's going to go in depth into like a great war in that universe or something like that. I feel like I'm less likely to pick up a book about a war, but if they were going to get into like fake made up religions and mm. they're like fables. I'd be like, that sounds dope. I'm going <laughs> to definitely read that. Um, so I don't know. I think. Everyone's going to have some things they want to create and some things that they kind of you kind of have to create. <laughs> mm. That's that's a pretty good. I think that's we're going to put that on the board. <laughs> uh, some things you want to create, like mm-hmm. if you are really interested in, say, like your settings, religion, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can get in that. And then some things you need, like maybe their economy, which mm-hmm. like you're not really interested in, but like mm-hmm. every setting and world needs one. So you have to. Mm-hmm. You can, I, I think there is a difference here, and it it might be a little interesting to dig into it because so with game mastering, there's sort of an expectation that like you should have an answer. If players ask you something, you should have an answer for it, or at least like you should know where in the book to look it up. Mm-hmm. And a currency system is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. I don't think a super well developed currency system helped the King Killer Chronicles be good fantasy. I found it really mm. obnoxious. But if you're game mastering and someone asks, you know, like, hey, can I like, is there a way we can buy this? Can I save up for this? How does money work? How much do we get paid for this? And then like, shit, you're much more likely to have to mm-hmm. answer that. But on the other hand, like, you know, Tolkien's Middle Earth is you know, incredibly well-developed, one of the most well-developed ever, you know, pieces of original world building. And he basically just hand waves money. 
Mm-hmm. Frodo's like, oh, I brought a little money on this adventure, but I didn't bring a lot of money. It's not what right. the point of it was. And they talk about, like, the Bagginses are rich, but... <laughs> but he wrote, like, like, five languages. What is that? So... Yeah. Like, what is that? They <laughs> right. have no idea, like, no how much it costs there. to, like, buy a beer at a pub because it's not important. And if you're writing a well, novel... I can order a beer in Elvish or Dwarven right. yeah, whatever. <laughs> in the correct language. It's and very if you're... detailed in some areas. <laughs> if you're writing a novel you can kind of just like choose what does or doesn't matter to the story mm-hmm. and then hand wave a system like the religion or the finances or whatever. True. You can work around things. But if you're running a game and your players ask for it, then mm-hmm. they're going to kind of expect you to have an answer. Mm-hmm. And you can, you know... I I think game masters should give themselves permission to be like, I don't know yet or that's not important. It's not really a part of this. That's something that game masters have trouble doing because they want to have an answer. But players ask for stuff, and when they ask for stuff, you kind of want to give it to them. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, re uh, our episode on hitting curveballs, which mm-hmm. was a while back. It was a little while ago, but it was, yeah. I think, one of our better episodes. So, yeah, if you're curious about that whole idea, go back and listen to that one. Well, I think what's interesting about world building for a game that's already in motion has been to some extent created likely. I guess you could be doing like a one shot and making it up as you go, but it usually is something that already has some rules and boundaries and some setting. Mm -hmm. So I think like from what I've noticed from like, you know, the few games I've played is it really comes down to like specific details or like like um like Dane's for Dane's birthday we played a Brian led a really fun one and I'm just thinking about, you know, going into the the shanty uh like cowboy town bar they had on the island the yeah. sand bar yeah and every everything they drank turned to sand and i feel like those little <laughs> things are just really fun little details that don't really you don't really need but um i think the best thing about it is it gave the sense that something was wrong mm-hmm. and that's what brian did really well is he was using the setting and the world to also convey a bigger point which is that like you should be uneasy. Something as mm. weird is happening. <laughs> so you can make it work for you, I think, in an interesting way. That was a good way to, like... Yeah, using to, world building to... Mm-hmm. And, you know, and make players a did point. actions. That was the only bit of the game I was there for, but... Um, <laughs> like, players did actions. He put us in a little tavern, and people were like, well, I want a drink. Give me a bottle of whatever. And using the players' actions, because players are going to want to interact with the environment you give them, and then you're like... Your drink turns to sand. That was a, yeah, that was a good combination of player action, and then like results to do some world building to set mm-hmm. the stage for, you know, what came next. Which mm-hmm. I don't know what came next. I <laughs> got drunk and fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, too bad. Your wife represented you well. <laughs> she said it was really fun. <laughs> So, Cece, uh, you got, you know, a world idea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so characters, do you usually build your characters, like, in the world, or do you build your characters around your world? Hmm. Or wait, did I yeah. just say the same thing twice? Maybe. I no, think you s- well, said... I, explain Well, it I think I get okay. it. What I meant was, do you build characters from your world, or do you build your world from your characters? a really interesting question um i mean i think 
you have to start with context, some ex some extent of context. But I also feel that like ultimately, um, you know, all characters kind of have the same needs. So um, I think I'd handle like developing a character from a fantasy world pretty similarly to developing a character from. I don't know, like a sci-fi sci mm. or a memoir. That's that's that wouldn't count. You're not developing characters for that. <laughs> um, I don't know, a young adult, mm -hmm. like realistic fiction book or something like that. Um, just because I think you still have to just really think about the psychology mm -hmm. ultimately, and that doesn't really change. Though you you do want to take into account, of course what is shaping your character. Hmm. So then that, in that sense, the world's important. So you mentioned uh, all characters kind of have the same needs. Could you expand on that? Um, well, they have the same needs and that they all have a need. And I noticed you guys have put this on the kind of the thing, um, the mm -hmm. rough draft of ideas to consider, mm -hmm. which I think is a really important thing to talk about, which is needs versus wants. Mm -hmm. um, one of the first things they talk about in all of my <laughs> writing classes um, and I think that's kind of where most characters start, even if you don't realize it. But at least it's what drives the story forward often. At least if the character's doing any work, it's because they want something or need something. Mm -hmm. um, and usually the want is what they think is driving the story. The need is what actually the story is about. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the character's not aware of their need. Um, I'm probably getting into too much into story stuff right now. <laughs> no, so that's, what, that's what we're talking about. And we've we've talked about that idea mm -hmm. a little bit before, but we so, yeah, brush the surface of it. So that's where you do you feel like that's usually where you start is with mm. that or and and you uh, said you don't really develop like characters in a vacuum. They need some context of setting. Yeah, usually I feel like um like usually what weirdly what happens first is I have a scene. Mm. Like I was saying, like mm. a vibe or a setting. Or I have a mm. scene in my head or a feeling I want to convey. And then everything kind of shapes around it. Um, but for characters, I, I feel like I kind of have like, you know, a sense of what I want them to be. Or who, the, who they are kind of already in my head. But then you realize characters also need to move the story. So they... <laughs> um, you need to figure out what their purpose is, which can be more difficult, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, you want to make them consistent, make and create characters who will make decisions that actually make sense. Um, you guys had actually written this down, too, and I was kind of flattered you remembered this, but um, I personally, like, I've actually done this for some of the role-playing characters I've made up, and I do it for almost all of the characters I'm trying to write, is I take online personality quizzes for them. <laughs> um, I mean, it's fun to go on BuzzFeed and take those, but I really think like taking like an Enneagram test or like even a Myers-Briggs test. In character as in character. the character you're trying yeah, to Yeah, you write. try to just put yourself in What would place. they answer? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Which then, is role-playing. Right. And that's especially helpful because with both of those, you get a lot of like feedback. There's whole books and chapters based on that kind of Yeah, the different prototype. matrix types and stuff. So, you know, if you're not quite sure what kind of, how your character would react to something, take this quiz and they say like, well, it sounds like your character's um, a narcissist and this is probably... <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> what path they take if they're trying to do better. This is the path they're taking if they're going to do worse. Uh-huh. Here's a, you know, there's just, it gives you so much information or at least inspiration. Are there specific versions of those quizzes, like for writers that'll say stuff like that? Yeah. Like if they're trying to do better, this is the way they'll behave. And if they're not interested in doing better, this is how they'll get worse type no. of stuff. Or is that just, yeah. not as far do you as have to I'm read aware. that into like just the descriptions of the personality um, types? As far as I know, no one's ever talked about personality quizzes and developing characters. So as like, at least that I've heard about, but maybe I'll make it. Maybe I'll do a character personality test based on, I feel like I'd need to be a better psychologist, but maybe you could take Enneagram results and turn it into like, this is what happens. This is what it means about your character. Because that could be a really cool tool. Mm -hmm. They, you know, one of these kind of like widely accepted psychology tools for personality testing but then the results specifically are for like writers or right. players to use like this is how they would behave mm-hmm. socially this is how they behave if they're not getting what they want type of thing right and, right this is yeah like their you know path of like <laughs> ascension yeah here's their path towards like getting worse <laughs> crazy you know yeah just like um I don't know. It's yeah. I think that's interesting. But I think ultimately, when it comes to role playing games, for both the players and the DMs, understanding what the players want and need, um, and sometimes the DM might know what they need more than the character does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think it's really good to keep in mind for both sides, just because um, if nothing else, that can give a character closure and move their story forward. Or vice versa, move their story forward, give them closure when they need it, or, um, I don't know, help you figure out where to take them. Hmm. I really like what you said about, uh, like, a scene, right? Like, when you're developing a character, you think about them in a specific situation, because um, turns out that's usually how I make my role-playing characters, huh. is, you know, I think about something in their past, you know, some backstory, and, like, this is the situation and this is how they reacted and that's like my touchstone always going back to of like mm-hmm. that is their their you know that is them this right. is who they are is they this reaction or you know they uh shot a couple bandits or you know mm. uh fleeced a guy you know they're they're a current artist they always look for the angle or something like that right mm-hmm. um you know, having a couple moments in time to always go back to and be like, okay, this situation is kind of like this, so I'm going to react this way. Hmm. Um, I think that gives a much stronger air to the, like, oh, well, my character would do it. Because um, we've talked in previous episodes about, like, how that's pretty lame excuse sometimes. Like, when you're just trying to do something dumb or mean. Yeah. It can you be... So your character would do it? Yeah. It, it, can, be, it can be an excuse... For just like if someone's being a munch to be a munch at the table, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, my character would do that. Would they actually, if they lived in this world and experienced consequences mm-hmm. in this world, would they actually behave that way? Or do you just feel like being a munch? Uh, it's it's sort of a meme excuse in, in mm-hmm. role-playing circles. Like, I'm going to start a bar fight because yeah. that's what my character would do. But like, would uh, they? Yeah. Though, if I can use another another example from Dane's birthday... Cosmo, you were in bed by this point. 
but it's just this is the wow. reason it was maybe one of my favorite games I've ever played. Is, uh, <laughs> Fuck. Mallory had a character. This was also her first time ever yeah, playing. This is it. my wife's first time ever, ever playing, playing any role playing. Um, She's been very reluctant about yeah. it for a while, which a lot of people are like that at first. Yeah, I was you know, you're like, oh, it's. Um, so it was her first time playing. She, she even told me beforehand, like, this is my character, but I didn't know the whole story. Um, however, at one point in time during the game, she's given a map that our DM definitely wanted her to share with everybody. <laughs> but <laughs> and she she's didn't. like, my character wouldn't do that. And she just stuck fast to her character. And it ended up <laughs> making, like, first of all, it made our DM have to think on his feet a lot. But it made for Poor a Brian. shockingly great game. Like, the fact <laughs> that it kind of came full circle by the end. Um, and I feel like that was just someone being true to their character. Like, you know, you don't know much about them, but you know they wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, I mean, talking more about that is... Uh, it was really good because it didn't really uh, halt the story. Like, uh, Mallory's character still was like, I think we should go this way. Yeah. And it's like, well, you do have the map, so yeah. we should probably listen to you. But you're not sharing. Right. She could be this. She could be lying to us. <laughs> which is dramatic. Mm -hmm. It is. Um, but creates some tension, which is, makes for fun mm -hmm. gameplay. Tension and drama. It's good for gameplay, good for storytelling. Mm -hmm. Both things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so talking about storytelling. Yeah. Like plotting out a story, planning conflicts, planning situations that your characters are going to get into. Right. Yeah. I What's wanted, your process on that? I wanted to go back to this and specifically okay. ask. Never mind. Well, so, yes, we're. this is what we're talking about now is like <laughs> plotting and, and planning the, the structure, um, the conflicts that are going to happen. But you said you often start with, you know, a scene. How fully formed is that usually? Mm. That's like that's how you come up with a character, and the scene is where they are, and you build from there. Yeah. Does does a whole story often follow from that, or how much? What what sort of work do you have to do from that? Right. From that like proof of concept that pops into your brain um, to get it in to be part of a whole bigger thing. Right. Well, for example, with my my fantasy book. The scene where the main character, the very first scene was the first scene that came to my head. Mm -hmm. She's at her grandfather's deathbed and just their characters interacting kind of like shaped the whole book. Um, I feel like I have a pretty natural process of just kind of writing and seeing where it goes. But at some point I've realized like you really do need to kind of outline. Um, and um, I've actually gone... And looked, I mean, I've taken a couple classes, and this has been helpful for me, is just looking at the um, hero's journey. Mm -hmm. Joseph Campbell's, well, actually, he kind of made it, he and Carl Jung kind of made it famous, but it was kind of around before then. Basically just the kind of universal story a hero mm -hmm. goes on, um, which can kind of give structure. And then I usually start with that structure and play with it, change things around. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, for those who don't know, right. um, could you give a little? For sure. Uh, I don't know. You know, um, uh, blurb <laughs> about the hero's journey. Sure. So this is basically based on um, Joseph Campbell, who's a scholar who kind of realized this pattern that basically all mythology follows these same stories over and over. Um, and then you look at modern sources, it's still kind of following the same pattern. 
So we broke it down into 12 steps. Um, and I can read, I love I read the 12 them? steps. Sure. <laughs> you got them up. I mean, some people change the names of things, but you know. Uh-huh. Call me a stairmaster because uh... <laughs> I climbed those steps. It sounds like you're just an alcoholic. That's 12 steps. That's the, yeah, that's the joke he's doing. Um, I missed you when you said that the first time. <laughs> 12 um, steps. Yeah. Okay. So you start with, you know, number one would be kind of your status quo, the mm-hmm. ordinary world set. You establish the hero and the world they're in. They get a call to adventure. Usually this is in the form of a stranger coming to town or uh, the hero leaves home. Um, or adventure. Adventure. Uh, and then there's a couple ones he does that I don't think are that necessary, like refusal of the call. Sometimes they refuse it and fight at first. The old um, reluctant hero. Right. Mm-hmm. And usually sometimes there's some of that, but... Um, you meet a mentor. That's a big thing that often happens. Um, then you cross the threshold. That's basically committing to the quest, point of no return. Mm-hmm. Um, then you go through various trials and, a- and make allies and enemies. Um, and usually during this point, the ultimate problem is intensifying. Um, and there's the approach. And I still have not found a good name for this step. Some people say approach the inmost cave or meeting the goddess. Or it's all very vague and poetic, but it's basically like this is right before you meet the big bad. <laughs> um, the, the calm before the storm. Yeah, right? yeah. Or it's like building up, then you finally get the climax, um, which usually means you pay a heavy price. And you end up with either a reward or new knowledge. Some people call it the death and rebirth. And then there's like argument about whether there's like a road back and or not, there's like another final trial, which like. Lord of the Rings does, but they, like, left it out of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's a good example of, like, they had a whole other little mini-adventure on their way home. Mm-hmm. To fix the Shire. Right. And um, most Greek epics do the same thing, where there's the journey home still has, like, Stuck a little bump. Um, but I think a lot of modern stories skip that. And then, basically, you return with the elixir. You will change person. You're the master of many worlds. And it also means you're, usually your needs have changed as well. Um, so it's a lot right there, but, um, I think it brings you back to a lot of good basics just for creating a story and for creating characters of just like, even if you're going to switch things up, obviously a lot of stories have multiple climaxes and trials and they, you know, I don't think it's, I think it's more of a jumping off point, Hmm. but, um, I, I'd say so too. Like if everything, if every movie and story adhered to it really closely mm-hmm. then stories would get boring mm-hmm. to watch well, you'd be amazed in college one of my professors had us um actually like we fast forwarded through a lot of it we watched like three movies mm. and you could basically break them down into a certain percentage into the movie where they had this turning point the second turning point mm-hmm. the climax and they were like the same by about two by three a couple minutes, minutes. I mean, they were like, and they were different movies. Like, um, I think we did Wizard of Oz, um, New Hope, and, you know, classics. Star Wars and New Hope is the one that I always think of whenever I, like, look at a diagram of the hero's journey or, Mm -hmm. like, see it written out like that because it, it, it's basically a case study in taking that uh, like that scholarly idea about storytelling and applying it to a movie. Right. A New Hope is 
totally. It's pretty much exactly it. Like the the darkest cave, approaching cave, or whatever. Yeah. Like that's oh, they get sucked into the Death Star, and then it's Darth Vader cave. is there, and it's you know, then they literally meet the princess, and then Obi Wan mm-hmm. dies, and that's the like darkest hour. But then that right. becomes you know a new strength for him, and then mm-hmm. the final trial when they come back and blow it up, and it's right. yeah, it's it's a you know almost boring case study in how to make a movie of the hero's journey outline Mm -hmm. but yeah um but that being said i think people have used it very similarly to this and still make it interesting but i also think that it can be a really fun way to throw your readers or players off by you know intentionally subverting subverting the expectations the men, the mentors, you know, the villain, or mm-hmm. you know, their road back home turns out to be like an entirely new adventure. I don't know. There's a lot of fun ways to play with it. Yeah. Something I can't remember if we talked about it on the podcast. We definitely talked about it, but the difference between uh, the Lord of the Rings books and the movies, Aragorn, like it seems like in the books he's pretty far along the hero's journey like he's already yeah. accepted it he's done yeah, he's ready to announce himself um and everything like that whereas like in the movies aragon's much more like reluctant not confident he's mm-hmm. kind of like i don't know if i'm ready i need like gandalf to pump me up and everything when i was when i was younger that was my biggest complaint about that about the adaptation i love him I love those movies, and I always have, and I think they're great still. But my big complaint was, like, that departure from the books. Like, why all this inserted drama? Mm. Drama that, you know, like, isn't in the source material because Aragorn already, he's 80 years old. He's already gone through this, you know, arc of finding himself and deciding what he wants to do. But I understand it now, and I like it better for a movie because now there is drama. There is stakes, and in, you know... In the books, it's just relayed like a history text. Like, this happened the way it happened. Mm. And Tolkien doesn't have a terrific sense for drama or pacing, Mm. really. But the films, I think, are improved by that choice. Because then the drama is actually on screen. Rather than, like, oh, this character, he used to be real torn up about it. But now he's (laughs) super confident and fine and has no flaws. I mean, I, I like, I have to, I liked that choice. Um... I mean, I again, I love the books, love the movies. I saw the movies first, mm. which is maybe why... Um, we we are of an age where not very many of us read them before we watched them. We were like 10 them. or 11 when they came out. Yeah. You know? I'd read The Fellowship, okay. and then they were coming mm. out in theaters, so... Mm. I'd read The Hobbit before they yeah. came out, but... Um, I think I had listened to them all on tape, but like as like a seven-year-old you don't really pay attention like we're right. in the car i'm playing pokemons <laughs> lord also, of the rings is on the on the radio <laughs> i wonder how much um of the movie version of aragorn aragorn uh, also shaped how i read him in the book mm. because in, my sense in the book bit. was like i'm like he's troubled they're not saying it but <laughs> yeah. he's He's definitely trying into it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's hot. Which is which is exactly who he is in the movie. They definitely like, made him sexier. Viggo Mortensen's <laughs> portrayal of Aragorn is that is like, you know, a troubled right. badass with like 
drama and a like love interest and everything and his version in the books is like he's done all that already right. he's like yeah i am gonna do all this and i have to win this war and then we can be married we've already decided right. this is what's gonna happen right Which, but yeah it's yeah. good too it was also good love love both versions but uh one was definitely in my <laughs> dreams more often <laughs> yeah, one's a lot hornier <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, no reason beating around the bush, huh? Let's just talk about writer's yeah, block. Yeah, let's talk about this okay. shit. You know, get it out in the open. So, writer's block and lack of inspiration. Mm. What's, um, what do you do? Well, I feel like How do you get of... it back? What, well, it's what's hard. it like for you when it's just, like, not working and then, yeah, what, what are hard. the things that you do? Well, it depends on my mental health, partly. Sometimes I'm mm. just, like, not worth mm-hmm. it. Yep. You're big, too sad. Big part of it. <laughs> um, I try to really focus my um, intakes, I guess, where if I'm, like, trying to, if, I can't, if I'm feeling blocked and I'm, like, lacking inspiration, I try to really focus on watching and reading and listening mm-hmm. to materials that I'm hoping will inspire me. That, um, or at least will put me in that world, will make me want to be back in that world. So if I'm writing fantasy, I try to watch a lot of fantasy. If I'm I doing mystery... Ask that doesn't mean, like, you have to match genres with what you're working on I and mean, what you're thinking about? Or can you just consume good media from of any um, genre and kind of get inspired from that? I find, like... I it helps most to kind of stick to a genre for me. Mm-hmm. Like I can like not strictly like fantasy, but like um but you know, period pieces. Anything that's going to uh-huh. make me feel like I'm escaping from our world and I could be like this is cool how different this is. I could do something like that. Um I mean, you can get inspiration from anything, but that makes me feel the most excited to get back to what I'm working on. Um I like that too and i have like if i'm fantasy pilled i don't want i don't want to watch stuff that isn't mm-hmm. right fantasy to the point where sometimes like it's it's unhelpful like you can't keep watching lord of the rings and the witcher over and over <laughs> there's again. not enough good fantasy yeah. you have to rewatch some and, really and bad fantasies I, like, over and over <laughs> if you're if you are like mentally locked into a subgenre like that it can be a real pain to find the specific thing. You're like, oh, yeah, like I guess I could watch this, but it's not really what I want. Like, mm-hmm. this is adjacent to what I want, but it's not close enough, and that right. can be annoying on its own. Right. But um, sorry, go ahead. Well, I'm I'm much more genre neutral. Mm. Uh, mm. I'm more about consuming good stuff. Mm. Um, that's what matters more to me. Like when I'm in a slump. Um, because, I mean, I don't know. I just, I'm able to pull ideas from anything as long as it's good. Um, but, like, mainly I'm talking about afterlife, which can be anything you want to be. It can mm. be a fantasy. It can be a sci-fi. It can be an apocalypse. Mm-hmm. It can be a real-world grind. I, you know, it could be anything. Right. Not saying uh, that afterlife is the best role-playing system <laughs> ever made, but, like, it's up there. It's the best one. <laughs> Um, I've tried to be more that way and be like, well, you know, if I'm trying to write something specifically sci-fi and I can't find, like, the exact version of it, well, like, it doesn't exist because 
then why would I be writing something? Why would I be working on a project? If the perfect version of it already existed, I'm trying to get away from having to consume genre matching stuff to right. feel inspired, but it's 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 a tough it's thing for tough. me. I feel you just because, I mean, I love good stuff, but I think I get some weird like creator's envy when I watch mm. something really good where I'm like, I want to somehow reproduce this feeling yes. and it can distract me. Like if I watch a really excellent, excellent comedy and suddenly I'm wanting to try to like insert jokes into my book where they don't make sense, um, you know, or it gives me like a hold need to shift everything. Um, I wish I could be like, you know, I can get good ideas, but especially right at, or, um, right after I consume something, all I want is more of that if mm. it's good. Sometimes it's almost better to watch kind of shitty things and be like, well, I do this differently. Yeah, yeah, because you can that. consume, if you're like re-watching something kind of mediocre but fun, mm-hmm. then, then that can almost free up a lot of like mental bandwidth to... You know, you're like, I'm not really watching this. I'm actually, now my gears are turning about right. some other stuff because it does not require my full attention. Mm-hmm. Let's just watch some, you know, shitty sci-fi series that got right. canceled after two seasons and, yeah, and it's... you know, lives on Netflix in obscurity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay, big question. Mm-hmm. What, so you got writer's block or lack of inspiration, right? You're in a slump. You get some good, you watch some good media, you get your inspiration back, yeah. but like... You just watched Arcane, and now you're sure. like, oh yeah, that's good mm. media, I'm turned up. I want to create. I'm ready to create again. <laughs> oh, rereading stuff. I know that's mm. not a thing for pl- role players, but that was one other thing I, I forgot to say. Going back and rereading the next... Yeah. Like, I do, I redo series right. all the time, and or, that's a great way, especially to not spend well, you money. You mean the stuff you've already written. Right. Yeah. To oh. reread, like mm-hmm. when I'm trying to get back into the headspace and get excited. Reread your content. I reread my content. I at least up, you know, sometimes just like three pages. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll like go back 20 All pages. Sometimes I'll start at the beginning if I really mm-hmm. am not feeling. I like, thought I think of that's that. Very important. I totally for game get. Masters. I totally get that for writing fiction, but yeah, I think it. Um, I think it applies to games as well. Way less. What do you have players, to keep but... track of it? I'm curious. Well. For for me, uh, recently I've just I keep a running document in Google Drive of like you know here's like the story beats and then like you know a, a summary of like what happens on the last session, mm-hmm. right? So then when I'm creating the next session, I can always refer back to it. Sometimes I don't need it, and when I am in a slump, I just reread all my random notes and be like, <laughs> you know, oh here's an idea. You know, mm-hmm. here I haven't explored this yet. Um, so I think rereading is, uh, quite an important thing, uh, to get you out of your little slump for a game master. Um, cause chances are you've taken some notes somewhere. We always say that it's still on the board from uh-huh. 2020. <laughs> I, so as a player, I take notes. That doesn't work for me There's as a nothing on the board. game master though. Cause um, as a game master, that's... I take zero notes and I'm like, I think well, I don't take very many notes while I'm running, but like but between sessions, after right after we ends, like I just I jot down, you know, as much as I can, and it's it's I think it's really helped. I don't know how you feel as a player with like Eckhart holds, but like I thought it. Helped I felt a like lot. there was a great deal of consistency and like a through line through that. So if that's where it was coming from, then it was mm-hmm. working. Uh, 
for um, I was more thinking rereading like you know the flavor text and fiction stuff in mm. you know in whatever like the source book the ruled book or like a dungeon master we we don't really play Dungeons and Dragons but sure. a frequent source of inspiration for me has been like the monster manual for mm-hmm. fantasy stuff it doesn't have to pertain specifically to like you know the sessions as you're planning them or playing them whatever but to just like to read the source material it's kind of like rereading yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it should still light up those parts mm-hmm. of your brains and make you hopefully keep you excited and inspired to be in this genre <laughs> yeah Okay, so back to the question. Uh, You got your inspiration back, Mm -hmm. but like, what you're inspired to write, like your new ideas, conflict with what you have already done. Mm. How do you deal with that? Well, that's again a little different if for role playing, I guess, Um, because if you've already like if you're in the mid of the middle of a campaign, that's hard because you kind of already stuck with what you have, you know. Yeah. But you can you can't you can, go back to a certain chapter, rip it right. out, and be like, actually, mm, nothing past this point is canon. We're starting from here. Right. That would be a pretty hard. hell of a role playing. That's experience. some whiplash there. Yeah. Right. And um, but for writing a novel, you can totally do that. You can. Yeah, and that's usually what I do. Is I mean, that's why it probably takes me so long to write things. And why I'm afraid to publish things if I have more than one book. <laughs> Is like I need it to be consistent. Mm. I'm still afraid I'm going to change things at the last minute, <laughs> um, which is why you still haven't read the next draft of my book. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, Art takes time. Yeah, I think um, probably the best advice is to maybe sit on it a little bit, then go do it. Because sometimes you just get excited by an idea, mm-hmm. and it's maybe doesn't actually make the most sense. Um, what I usually do is I write it down, I make, note, make notes, and then a couple days, weeks later, I'll come back to it and be like, okay, no, this is a good idea. This is worth going back and making changes. That does really not. suck, though, as a as a game master, prepping, I think even as a player a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, like, as a writer of fiction, when you've got an idea... And you're like, this would be cool. This scene or this right. vibe, this moment, this setting, whatever. And there's nowhere it fits and you have to like look at this thing that you love and throw <laughs> it away. Mm-hmm. You're like, that's it's just not going to fit anywhere. Right. It's not going to work. I like to kill your darlings. You can <laughs> always, you know, you can always remember it, think of it again and put it somewhere else maybe. But like mm-hmm. it sucks to have what you think is, you know, a brilliant thing. And it's just like it doesn't puzzle piece right. into what you have, and there's no way to make it work. You're like, fuck. This, I, I guess this um, doesn't go here. That sucks. I think it's good to throw those away when you realize that, mm. which is why I have like a little um, little writing graveyard on my computer. <laughs> but I hope I can resurrect some of them someday. Get stuff out of it. <laughs> but yeah, it is very sad, but I think a good storyteller knows when it's not working. I think that concept. We're just writing that down. Well, yeah, I'm taking notes because yeah. partly why I asked that question is because I always just jam it in. Like, <laughs> this doesn't fit, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. And then it's bad. A writing graveyard is a kick-ass idea. It is a, it is a great phrase. I feel I like, like I could steal that from And professor. it's also, like, if you have it somewhere, then you can always you resurrect it. You can mm-hmm. dig it up. 
you could can, be a whole new story. You can Lovecraft's The Reanimator that shit and mm-hmm. use it somewhere else as long as you, you know, remember, capture the vibe of what you mm-hmm. hoped it was going to be. But right. it didn't work in this story or in this game or for this character. So you had to throw it away mm-hmm. for now. But you can always dig it up again. Right. And I feel like that must be even harder in role-playing because at least I'm in control of my story entirely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you nice. all can have this brilliant idea. And, and I know I'm sure you've just been through it. And they're fucking it up. They're suddenly like, I'm going to go this way. And you're like, yeah. no, but every hint I've given you Please. is telling you there's no, all this symbolism this to go this way. And they're like, no. <laughs> And, and like, then I don't get it. I'm like, oh, yeah. Or, or you're Mallory. You're just not going to do it anyway. <laughs> I know what maybe, you want me to do. Right. I refuse. <laughs> but maybe that's maybe that's maybe a graveyard would be even more helpful for you all, just because I feel like a lot of those things theoretically could become you could mm-hmm. reuse somewhere else. Just have a little uh, wait for the opportunity. bank of ideas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it's uh, it's it's really happened to me a lot with like characters because sometimes it'll be like a gimmick mm-hmm. essentially, either of characterization like how you would role play them or of gameplay like you know I want them to have uh you know like the magic flying hammer axe and like Thor's hammer or like God of War mm-hmm. I want that game mechanic you think that and you try and build something around that and nothing ever comes together and you're like. The thing that I thought was cool is the thing that's actually not working, and I have to just put it aside and not do it and come up with something different, even though mm. that was the thing that got you excited. Yeah. That really I suck. definitely have a character graveyard. Mm. It's like sometimes I just get a hot idea for a character and just I have to make that character mm. and then, and like, then I never put get it. to play it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's good to have you know some on the back burner and then sometimes like for example when you were doing the the thundering hooves uh-huh. thing i resurrected a character that like i had made for a thing that i didn't end up using because like do. you pivoted so then like boom just bring that thing back and right do it again it helps yeah. you get prepared for next time because you have this stash of potential people that, to throw out that's also a terrific feeling i think mm-hmm. when you're like oh i've got something for this and you go through your you know, little file cabinet in your brain mm. and pull out the exact right thing mm-hmm. for what's happening right now, that's that's wonderful. Let's pull that's... out tennis player, blonde. <laughs> <laughs> Long Meant to use that one earlier. Oh, that he's not so sure about? <laughs> uh, okay. Let's uh, let's move on to our last well, thing. Yeah, let's close here? it up with uh, a round robin. Mm-hmm. The question is, what is your ideal writing slash creative mm-hmm. environment, and how do you create that space? So this is, I guess, uh, the the previous issue. We're like we've beaten that. Mm-hmm. This isn't mm-hmm. this isn't curse of the blank page. Writer's block. This is like you're on a roll. You're feeling it, and there's, you know, you're you're about to put in some work. What's Mm -hmm. the? You want to start? Sure. Um, 
It depends a little bit on the thing. Okay. If it's something I'm not excited to write. <laughs> but it's work. Work or even like sometimes when I'm like doing editing that I'm really tired of doing. It helps <laughs> for me to go to a public place mm-hmm. where I can't get on YouTube and watch um, <laughs> horror movie conspiracy theories uh-huh. or whatever. Because <laughs> um, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Um, so I'm actually much more productive there. But uh, when I'm really writing what I want to do, and I'm really in the, really getting those juices, um, I usually just write in bed, and I close the door and on a laptop. On a laptop in bed. I have a desk. I don't use it. I just mm. write in bed. But it's, um, I think, not having anyone looking over my shoulder is actually helpful. The more I love it, and the more personal it is to me the harder it is to do with other people around. So I like total isolation. And someplace I'm very comfortable. <laughs> Bed sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. A little cup of tea. That's comfy. Or something. Yeah. You don't drink? No, I've learned that that's... <laughs> that's uh, not good writing. <laughs> I mean, I could have a beer or a glass of wine, but um, I'm, just, no, I'm not Hemingway. Yeah. I don't think that's... Mm. I can't write drunk, edit sober. I could edit sober. <laughs> 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 My writing goes off the rails real fast, so... <laughs> okay. A glass or two. Okay, yeah, a glass or two. <laughs> but not writing drunk. Uh, do you want to go or do you want to Sure. I, 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 I'm all primed. Okay. Um, I go through two moods. The first mood is I need, like, something to stimulate me. Like, if it's, like, writing something I'm not excited about but needs to be written. So, like, you know, I need to put on a show that I've seen a thousand times mm-hmm. just to, like, you know, have that comfort, I guess, mm-hmm. what it is. Um, and then there's the other mood of, like, this is really exciting Mm -hmm. and I want my full attention on it. Um, And then, you know, I don't put on a TV or a podcast or whatever. Uh, But as in like an environment, uh, definitely need some sort of liquid. Depends on what time of day it is, (laughs) where I am, you know, in the work week or whatever. Right. So like sometimes it's a little booze. I feel like, you know, a drink gets the juices flowing. Couple drinks turns into crazy talk. Um, (laughs) But like if it's not, you know, an appropriate time. So like, for example, sometimes I write stuff at work. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm obviously not going to have, you know, a big IPA. But like, uh, you know, a tea or water or a juice. Um, yeah. Nice off-brand seltzer. Yeah. And I think that's just a habit I started in college because like I heard that like, you know, keeping your brain hydrated makes it work better. Who thought? <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> um, so like, you know, when I was testing or writing an essay, I'd always just be sipping on water. Mm. So like, you know, having... I don't know, that little break, you reach in and a sentence, you take a sip, you ponder. It's nice to have a little treat for yourself, yeah. too. A ritual, mm-hmm. almost. Well, I have a very similar thing to you. When I've, like, there, there's a flow state when I'm really excited about something where I don't want anything else. I want it to be quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will just, like, be absorbed in it. And that's... And I would usually like an alcohol drink in that situation. Um, when we were in Italy for my brother's wedding, 
we had, you know, several days to just kind of like lounge about. And I did a lot of writing there with no TV or no anything, just like finding a nice place to sit mm-hmm. at the house nice. and uh, write. But then if I'm just working on something, it's either like at work in between doing work or it's, you know, like at home with comfort TV on similar to what you said uh difference for me is that i write almost exclusively on my phone except when there's like layout stuff really weird i know that's crazy. i do take notes on my phone if i'm watching Mm -hmm. something but that's about as much as i do unless there's layout stuff that i have to that like you know i can't build tables for a role-playing document easily on my phone that stuff i do you wrote the entirety of Curse of Castle Morwen on your phone, right? I did. It's like, what, 300 pages? Yes. <laughs> on your phone. How do you even, like, keep track of, like, sc- the well, scrolling? So it was that it was by insane. chapter. And when a chapter was finished, it would move to, to like, okay. a master document. And then in a master document... And you have to keep going back to back chapters if you're like, how old was this person? Well, Why I just... Did I say what, I, what I did is I wrote the whole thing... Uh-huh. And then printed off a hard copy, like a, a okay, manuscript, and redlined the whole thing that way. Because that level of editing and scrolling, I couldn't right. fucking do on a phone. But the the thing that I like about the phone and why I have a Pixel now instead of an iPhone is I've bought into that like that specific interface because I want to be able to like whip it out. And not make a note to do later, mm. but to input directly into the the living document. Mm. That's that's why I've trained myself to write on a phone. I guess I like that. When I was really young, my one of my writing mentors always told me to keep a notebook on you everywhere you go. Uh-huh. And to this day, he still has his teal notebook in his pocket. Did you tell him about the notes app on his phone? <laughs> no, he he was he's kind of a luddite. He didn't get a cell phone until like. 2015 or something like that. Ooh, yeah. That's late. I know, but yeah, but I think it's this, it's you know having something available at all times to jot down some ideas is a good idea. Mm. I still like the pen and paper app. I hated that as far back as like high school when we were like, oh, write a draft of a paper by hand, and then you know, you could turn that in as a draft, but we would have to you know. We would have to polish it, and eventually, by high school, it was the standard that it would like it need to be typed and properly formatted. Like, why am I doing this extra step of right. handwriting well, when it just could be in its final form from the mm-hmm. get go? When I still do an outline, though, for anything, I still like to do it on hard paper. Yeah, um, I'm sure there are like computer software app things there's tons that you but can like, I, that i around. that i get because of the like the spatial right. nature so of it yeah i like to kind of do little like webs or like i don't know sometimes i just like having mm. that empty page in front of me but then ultimately you're right i mean when you're actually writing it's so much it's so i can't imagine being like i think for outline know, and layout uh like on a piece of paper right that's that's a that still has a lot of merit beyond right Technology. But no one wants to do like be Louisa May Alcott doing eighteen drafts of <laughs> I don't know how many drafts she did, but by I bet hand. it was by hand yeah. though, you know. Yeah, that's nuts. Also, apparently, so Tolkien 
wrote, it took him however many decades to complete Lord of the Rings in its entirety. And his writing process was to kind of, you know, write the story as he knew it up until a point where he didn't know it. And then when he didn't, he'd, you know, work on it, come back to it, whatever. And what would happen most often is he would be starting over. He'd be like, all right, well, that was a draft and I got to Brie. <laughs> I kind of get whatever. that. <laughs> I got up to Brie. It's time to throw that away and start <laughs> over. But he would start over from, like, concerning hobbits. Right. And, no, I, I do kind of get that. I feel like a lot, I've started over so many times just when I'm going back to editing, through editing. I just love starting over. <laughs> There's something kind of cool about the first bit. but well, There's all the potential in front of yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You haven't ruined it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. More on the agenda, boys. I think that's it for tonight. Um, so, what are we talked about? Cece's been here tonight, and we were talking about writing. We were talking about mm. the creative process. We talked about setting and world building. We talked about characters and different processes and tools for developing them. Um, we talked about plotting out the story, planning conflict, and some resources that can be helpful for that. We talked about writer's block, losing your inspiration and getting it back again. And we talked about our ideal creative environments when we are feeling it and when when the orm is flowing. Hmm. No bras, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Gets in the way. <laughs> uh... <laughs> That's on the board. <laughs> Put it on the board. No bras. <laughs> yes, no bras. Attention. No bras, people. <laughs> that, I think, will about do it for this episode of Two-Headed Game Master. Um, visit us at 2HGM.com if you like what you hear and you want to see more of our stuff. we got a lot of stuff on that website. Mm-hmm. Um, Old Eclipse Engine free. We've got some free, just kind of role-playing ever since we talked about the Eclipse Engine. Well, we've kind of, you know... We've gone past it. We've gone past it to a degree, but it is still there and it is still free. And there's other stuff there. There's also links to our Twitter and our Patreon. And Afterlife. And Afterlife. That's the first thing you'll see is a link to Afterlife Fantasy Apocalypse Role-Playing on DriveThruRPG. It's cool. Check it out. Very cool. Um, Cece, how can um, people find you if maybe they need some mm-hmm. writing stuff, yeah. um, some help, I, some ghostwriting, some I ghostwrite and I do content writing. If anyone's looking for a writer, you can find me at ceciliamiserve at gmail.com. That's C-E-C-E-L-I-A-M-E-S-E-R-V-E. Link will be in the description. Yeah. Link will be in mm-hmm. the description. Um, especially if you have some good stories. I'd love to help, uh... I love um, Bring some content ideas editing. Yeah, I've done that before, and it's a lot of fun. So hit me up. Nice. Um, thank you for joining us, Cece. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been you. a pleasure. Fun. fun evening talking about the fun stuff we like to spend our time mm-hmm. doing. Uh, thank you to the Burning Saviors for the use of the song Pond Hill's Finest as the intro and outro to our show. I think that about do it. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye.